Well, hi there. This is episode three of a six-part series, Failing to Save the Earth podcast. And it's for all the water and land protectors out there, those who have struggled in the past or are struggling now to protect the natural world. The podcast is devoted to the idea that failure is not possible when you're standing up for life. In the spirit of those who came before us and for the love of those who will come after us, this podcast is for us to come together, to heal, to forgive, to dream, to find our power, and to lift up the stories of Earth come alive to defend herself, because that's what you are. Welcome. Join us in the circle, please. Uh, Today, my co-host is the awesome, the amazing, the wonderful Joy Braun, and I'll let her introduce herself because I, there's just not enough time here. We would just be going on and on and on. Uh, Joy, you want to, you want to say hi to everybody? My Lakota name is Eagle Feather Woman. The English language name is Joy Braun. Uh, a member of the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe. First, apologize for the raspy voice. I've been out and about traveling and being as immune compromised as I am. I catch everything. It's not COVID, but it's just, you know, I catch everything. Yeah, I feel ya. Got <laughs> <laughs> uh, all kinds of going on anyway. But you all know that. If you're a water protector, you all know that I battle. But um, a member of the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe, a long-time pipeline fighter, long-time water protector, land defender, was heavily involved in the Keystone XL fight. Of course, heavily involved in the Nose Apple fight, still fighting Nose Apple. Worked to protect and save our tribe in Buffalo. Worked on a lot of different issues. Cause you know how it is when you're a water protector. Everybody calls you on everything. Sure. Everything's connected. Everything is interconnected. That's how we are. And we're building a different world. And we're building new relationships and all that. Yeah. I'm just me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what I always say, too. I'm just me. Mom. Okay. So I'm starting out each one of these uh, with a little word association game. Okay. So it's just kind of break the ice and have fun a little bit. But I'm just going to tell you a word. And I want you to say the word back to me. And we might discuss the word that you say or we might not. But just so I have a list of six words right here. Are you ready? Okay. Exciting. Okay. Here we go. All right. So your first word is water. Life. I actually knew you were going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I said, yeah. even when I wrote it down, I was like, she's going to say life to that. Yeah, I, I hear a lot of people talk about like water is life. But I don't know where that it became such a big hashtag. And the uh, with Choni, like, uh, yeah. where did that all come from? It is a thing. And actually, uh, many only Choni is, is actually how you properly say it in Lakota. Many only Choni. But that not came about gee, years and years and years ago. Originally... When the American Indian movement was fighting the uranium mining in the 70s in the Black Hills, of course, you know, Anna May was murdered and left out there and all kinds of different things happened during that time in the early 70s. But Mini Only Tony was originally kind of brought up and, and said around that time. And, and it carried forward into the 80s when we started exercising our sovereignty and our inherent rights to protect our own water rights and our own right for people to come onto our land and are not come onto our land. Long, long, long history of the federal government allowing chemical trucks, nuclear waste trucks, and, and other things to just pass through our reservation territories without letting us know what was going on. 
So that was a big thing in the 80s, along with protecting our inherent sovereign rights, many leech only. And then, of course, the, um, the, the pipeline fight, uh, threatening our, our sacred water. And the biggest thing is to understand that water is sacred. Uh, and I always tell people because they go, oh, yeah, right, whatever. I'm like, yeah, so, uh, you need water to drink your coffee and your morning tea. And you need water to have orange juice and you need water to when you, when you cook and water to take a bath. And unfortunately, in this country, you need water to flush the toilet. Right. A lot of countries don't, don't do that, but you need water for a lot of different things and just for life. And I always help people go 24 hours without any water at all mm. any water and and see how far you get <laughs> and, and realize you know uh you have your own your own unique smell <laughs> <laughs> i tell you you're not going to go very far 24 hours without the use of water and it's a good exercise to see how far you can get yeah for sure okay here's the next word pipeline right Right. And you're good at that. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, you're one of the most badasses I know as far as like showing up and throwing down. Like, seriously. And that's what drew me to you in the first place is when I was uh, reading up on things and I was like, right on. Like, everything you said was just right on. Okay, let's go to the next one failure. No. No. Why do you say that? Because I don't believe in failure. I, I believe that everything happens for a reason. And whatever the outcome is, the reason the outcome is supposed to be. It may not be the defined outcome that you expect it to be, but it's still the outcome that is. And whatever it is, it's a lesson to be learned and to continue to moving forward, hopefully in a good way, uh, not to take failure as a as an insult, not to take failure as a temperature gauge of who you are, but to understand that it's just a stepping stone. So I don't, I don't believe in failure. What about victory? Victory winning. Yeah. What, what do you think of winning? For me, it's just continuing to wake up every single day. <laughs> right on. <laughs> I hear it. And I've had some pretty major health stuff happen to me. And I've had a lot of personal attacks, mm-hmm. community attacks, mm-hmm. implosions from, from movements, movement people attacking me. I've had, mm-hmm. I've had every kind of attack you can possibly imagine from physical, mental, verbal, emotional, very physical attacks, like having my health shot up and, you know, things like that. I've had every attack happen to me and the fact that I'm still here and still moving forward every single day is winning for me. Yeah. Alright, one more. Indigenous resistance. That's actually two words, but indigenous resistance. Sovereignty. I think a lot of folks don't really understand like uh what it means to be a sovereign nation and how important that is to protecting uh the water and the earth. So that when you're talking about sovereignty and tribes, and, and especially whether they're federally recognized or, mm-hmm. or state recognized, are just purely not recognized at all, which is always like blown my mind because we're tribes and we've been here since forever. And how dare this 
young country decide whether or not we're legal? And it's always right. blown my mind. I mean, people quote to Seattle all the time, mm-hmm. but the Amish aren't federally recognized. But sovereignty is, is, is definitely a big issue. And then you have, there, there's all these different nuances about, like I just said, federal uh, federal monies. Um, and then the, there's, there's, you know, whether or not the tribe is an IRA government or a non-IRA government or whether they're a PL280 government or a non-PL280 government whether or not the tribe is its actual treaty tribe, what treaty it was signed them signed under, who it was signed to, because you can be a treaty tribe and not have signed a treaty with the United States government, but mm. still have signed a treaty with the United Kingdom. Um, um. that was such the case with, with the Wapanoag. Um and eventually they did get um, federally recognized status, but that was Years and years and years and years and millions of dollars, and and it, it it here here are tribes that don't have any kind of money whatsoever, and mm-hmm. yet they have spend millions and millions and millions of dollars on these damn lawyers to try to make money, just to try to and and argue for years and years and years, sometimes thirty forty years just to get federally recognized. I think the the Homer like that down in Louisiana, they've been trying and trying and trying. And it seems like every time they um, are able to, you know, end a challenge, they just get, they just put another hurdle in their place. They do. do. I always thought it came down to the, to the fact that there's a lot of, a lot of oil in them, their swamps and uh, they don't want them to have power over that. That's, that's my own theory. They want them to have power over it. And then they're always throwing in casinos. Yeah, you know, and, and and that's a whole nother issue. I mean, that again, those are tribes exercising their right to economic development and to provide an income for their people. And and then casinos are always interesting because in order to have an effective casino, you need to have a population for it in order to provide income for that casino. And ninety uh, percent of tribal casinos barely break even. Right. You know, and that that's just the reality. There's very few and far between, you know, like the Seminole or the over in Minneapolis and different places. So they look, they're, they're okay because they actually have a population base. They got cities around them. Mm-hmm. Um, but like my tribe, Cheyenne River Sioux tribe, we, we don't have a casino. In fact, we're the only tribe here in South Dakota that does not have a casino. Now we do. We do bingo. <laughs> that falls under, you know, gaming laws. We do, we do bingo. I don't bingo. And we could do pool tabs if we wanted to, but we, we don't. We just, we don't have a population base for it. We're way out in the middle of nowhere. Right. And it just wouldn't make any sense to have it. What we have done, and this is in the vein of sovereignty, is we have since the 1950s, since they flooded and built the Oahe Dam and flooded out old agency and caused uh, refugees here for us. And my, my mom and my grandma were part of that. They lived in Tent City when they flooded and they made Lake Oahe. They flooded the Missouri River and made Lake Oahe. My, my, my mom and grandma were refugees from that and they lived in a Civil War tent. This is how the United States government treats, their, treats us. They gave our people old 
Civil War kind of livid during that winter. The white people got got houses and money and compensation and blah, 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 and got help with moving and everything, but not us. But when they moved us over here to Eagle Butte, to the center of the reservation, there was a decision made by our tribal government to invest in infrastructure. So we, we worked on roads, we worked on water development, we worked on one of the biggest things that we worked on was having our own telephone company. Wow. And we have now, in, in modern times, we we have fiber for internet on our reservation. How crazy is that? Most places yeah. in rural America are like barely getting any kind of cable or anything. Nice. Yeah, even out here, we have a little trouble sometimes catching a signal. Very annoying. And yeah. if you leave here, if you go like five miles up the road, there's nothing. You get nothing. <laughs> and that, and that, that's typical. You know, that, that's typical rural America. I got you one know, more word for you, and I think you're going to like it. It's the word love. Grandkids. Grandkids. How many you got? I have four living and one pass. Hmm. I can't wait for grandkids, honestly. I mean, I can't. I can't. That's what I tell the kids. I'm like, I can't wait. Oh, I can't. <laughs> Just wait. So it's important to understand tribal family. So I helped raise my niece. Mm-hmm. And then in our family way, my sister's kids are my kids. Like, Got it. And my kids are her kids. And if my brother had any kids, they would be my kids. <laughs> But I'm really close to Jasmine, and I helped raise her. And, and the, the grandkids didn't know. Uh, the only grandparents that they knew growing up for a long time was my mom and me. So, mm-hmm. so those are my grandbabies, and they're very much my grandbabies. I've got to remember birthdays, and they call me up, and they cry, and they go, Grandma died. They want to I'm like, I'm sorry. The other grandma. Anyway, so yeah, they're very, very much my my grandbabies. I miss them terribly. They're coming soon. I'm all excited. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so fun. Like this is a good time. Like all the kids are, you know, either graduating or they're getting out for summer. So it's a good time to be visiting and hanging out. I just love this time of year when I get to spend a lot of time with them. You know we're not all hiding in our houses yeah <laughs> yes i know i just i was driving home yesterday and i was like why the hell i got this big stupid grin on my face <laughs> i mean i was just driving and had this big old stupid grin on my face and i realized as i looked around everything was green <laughs> and i was like yeah yeah no more snow nice. and it was just last <laughs> no and i'm like yeah, it's green, and I hear the metal bar, and I was like, yeah, finally spring. <laughs> exactly. I love it. I love being able to go outside without putting on so much clothes and being able to hike and do fun stuff. You have greatness in you. The key is unlocking your full potential. Hello? Never give up. Never give in, and when the upper hand is yours, handle the win with the dignity that you deserve! Huh? Mom, look, it's hot motivational speaker Boney Tobbins. Oh, oh, 
thought it was Elon Musk. Oh, hey, Bony Toppins, what are you doing here? I wanted to talk to your mom about creating a winning plan! <sighs> hey, Mom, what's with all the yelling? Halo Man, it's me, Bony Toppins! You know, the early bird gets the worm! Well, I don't need a worm, so... Well, uh, uh, a winners never quit, and quitters never win! I'm going back to bed, Mom. Wait, what did Bony say? Something about quitting is not winning, and winning is never quitting? Hold up there, Bony. I'm not sure that's true. Sometimes the smartest thing you can do is quit. It's foolish to double down on a strategy that's just not yielding results. The saying should be, winners know when to quit, and insightful quitters know how to win. Yeah, that's what I was saying! No, you said... The to win, you have to risk loss. I'm sorry, Bony, but you don't. See, in this episode, we're talking about spirituality and movement spaces and campaigns. But the thing is, spirituality without action is worship. And that's fine, but people worship a lot of things. And those things aren't always healthy, like money, control, bodies, or perceived beauty. Not sure I read you. Your spiritual journey, in whatever way you choose to experience, is an expression of your values. And that is where you start your plans. For instance, say there's a greedy oil tycoon who wants to shove a pipeline right up your... Mom! ...in your community or space. Now, obviously, your goal would be to stop the pipeline. But why? Maybe it's going through a major drinking water source. So you think, I want to stop this pipeline so the water is not polluted. I want to protect that life source. Why? Because I value life and health and holding some sacred things as a testimony of our love to future generations. Whatever it is that drives your mission... That is where your failing plan will come from. It will come from those values. Well, winning once or twice is encouraging. Winning continuously is empowering. You said that right. That's why a fail plan is so important. Once you have one, there's no real way to lose. Oh, I got it wrong. When failing is success, success is winning. So making a failing plan maximizes winning. Yeah, there's no loss, so you're always winning. The secret of life is to fall seven times and to get up, eight. Buddy, ask any one-year-old. The secret of life is learning not to fall. But if you do fall, know what to fall on. Falling on a trampoline is a heck of a lot better than falling on a hard floor. Create your trampoline, friend. Tell them how to do it, Mama. Take that earlier scenario with that nasty pipeline. You or your organization's goal is most definitely to stop that snake. But your personal or collective values demand that your real goal is to protect that water. If you have a values-based failure plan, your failure goals may be to organize and engage with, I don't know, 10,000 people on this issue, effectively build awareness and actions regarding our watershed altogether, leveraging the local government to write policies that protect that watershed. Your preconceived failing goals might include creating a park or a conservation space. It might even mean throwing such a vicious stink that the next a-hole will think twice before repeating the wound. Maybe you can't or won't stop that pipeline, but you will have protected the water and created mechanisms to sustain that protection. In that case, did you really lose? Ah! Ah! You're not obligated to win. You're obligated to keep trying. Failure is another stepping stone to greatness! Mm-hmm. Mom, can you get Bony out of here now? Please. Let's just quietly look away until he moves on. And whatever you do, don't feed him.
Okay, here we go. All right, we're done with the quote. We're done with the words. So I just want to ask you a few questions. I have like a list right here. And are you ready? Okay, here we go. First of all, I have to set the stage. So Joy and I have been friends for a while now, a long while, sisters. And I remember like we knew each other way before that, but I remember going to the E3C summit, which is Extreme Energy Extraction Coalition. They had these summits and this is pre-COVID. So it's been, and this was before Dapper, this was before Dating or all that. And uh, I remember like we were walking out the door and you said, you know, we're up to like 15 people there, 15. And I was just like, man, that's amazing. That's great. You know, and we were both so excited. And then to see that, maybe a year later and there are like tens of thousands of people there crazy but how did you first hear about that well i mean how did you get involved and what were your like your initial thought did you know it was going to be as big as it was well no nobody knew it was going to be as big as it was i was definitely spirit moving um i first heard about dapple in 2013 i was up in bismarck getting a infusion for the arthritis mm-hmm. and i was reading the news and in the newspaper up there there was this little blurb about the dakota access pipeline that was going to come through north part bismarck and how the uh, the city of bismarck was upset because this pipeline was going to go so close to bismarck and in that article it had proposed going just north of um, standing rock right there at the cannonball and I remember uh, reading that and going, oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were still fighting Keystone XL pipeline. And I was an intervener in the KXL pipeline process, South Dakota Public Utilities Commission process. Here in South Dakota, I was bound by certain legalities because I was an intervener. That's a legal process. And they were getting ready to make applications. Dakota Access was getting ready to make applications in South Dakota. Um, they didn't for a long time, but I was watching it. So that's when I first heard about Staple. And I, we, I was driving back from Bismarck at that time, and I stopped in Cannonball. And uh, I had made signs, and I taped them to the side of my vehicle. And I had my bullhorn because I almost always carry a bullhorn with me. And I went around the community of Cannonball and I was warning them over the bullhorn and with the signs, you better watch out, there's a pipeline coming. Mm. What was the reaction you got usually? Well, you know, kids are going to be curious and they came out, what's going on? So I called them and I showed these little kids this news article and I said, go home and tell your parents. This pipeline's coming. I said, we'll be back. And then um, I got home, and uh, a few days after that, my Auntie Dorsey Locke, who was Juanita Locke's mom, got hold of me, and she said, what are you going to do? I said, what do you mean? What, what do you mean, what am I going to do? And I was like, she said, this pipeline's coming. But anyway, she had she had challenged me because she's, she's Athabascan, so she's from Alaska, and she's seen the devastation that pipeline to bring and they leak and, and everything and, and, and the cancer that it causes and the and the cancer it causes among the animals and the water degradation, the poisoning of the water and the land. So she was challenging me. And then it was a few months later, uh, Juanita, uh, Joseph E. Thunderfield and Honorata Defender and John Edwards 
Dale got hold of me up there at Standing Rock and said, can you come help? And then Linda, Linda got hold of me and some other people got hold of me and can you come help? And then they got hold of um, Paula Antoine because we had this was one of the times we had won against Keystone Excel, so it was after mm-hmm. people, you know, obviously, and because we won against Keystone like four times. <laughs> yeah, I know the youth. I was really impressed during the, uh, d- just for the record, uh, d- uh, DAPO means Dakota Access Pipeline, for anybody who doesn't know. I don't know how you wouldn't know at this point. It was such a huge thing. And I know w- with us as running Lloyd Lobby, we had a lot of people because we, we basically started about the time y'all were finishing up, and we had a lot of people that came down from standing rock to join us at Loi la vie yeah i want to talk a little bit about this one like about how spirituality played uh in with this because when we got people down like it was very interesting because some uh, you know some a lot of folks were really great and i love that they had all been kind of trained up and had all this like knowledge information but some folks were i just felt like we kind of disappointed them because like you know we, we're in a different space and we were a different group of people and i think they were looking for a continuation of the spirituality that they felt at ochetti so i was just wondering how you felt that spirituality played a role in in that whole struggle our, our spirituality is intrinsically tied into who we are as indigenous people and we were on our own land we were getting direction from the spirit through ceremony before we even started. That was the way that we did things with the fighting Keystone XL, for example. And it's it's the way that we fought to help save the buffalo. And it's the way that we do anything with with fighting against uranium or fighting fighting against fracking. Any fight that we go into up here, we don't go into that fight purely to fight. We have to understand what it means to be a warrior. Yes, you do warrior shit, but that those actions are based in spirit because you're really there to protect and defend those who cannot protect and defend themselves. You are there to be the body in the, in the front, to be the mind, to be that red light. And that's what it means to be a warrior. To be a warrior is to serve and to literally serve. So if that means digging latrines, if that means um, standing and going and serving elders and children, if that means whatever it is, whatever humble service it is, then that's what it means to be a warrior. And a lot of people don't get that. A lot of non-Native people don't get that, that what it means is to really be a servant of those people and to be unquivering in your faith that what you're doing will have an impact. Like I said before, it may not be the outcome that you want, but it will be an outcome. Right. We had, uh, you know, asked for permission to be on the land because in that case, that was stolen land. We weren't um, in our own territories. And also, uh, we, I remember intentionally, and this is thanks to Ann Whitehat, by the way, but I remember very intentionally when we had those very first ceremonies there that we opened up that space for 
everything to come in and help us fight this fight. And by that, we like, we, we specifically asked for like certain, you know, certain creatures, different nations, the, um, like just the land itself to help us fight. And I know for a fact when those cops came out there in that swamp, when we were trying to protect that water, that the swamp kicked the shit out of them before they ever got to us. Like they were, they come in, they had no shoes on because they, they, they'd be sweaty. They never brought enough water for some reason. My biggest worry at that time was that someone was going to die and we would have to take it or we have to get them back, you know, to get back in. It was them, not us. We were fine. So I guess my question to you is like, did you do that? Or in what way do you feel like that spirituality actually like physically supported the work that you were doing? Oh, yeah, they, they definitely did. People saw the, the thunder, the snow thunder right at the end. The blizzards came in. There were so many things that have happened over the years and all of the fights. That, I, that I've been on, where where spirit took over, where Unchi Maka, Mother Earth, our Earth Mother, took over. When you join this fight, and you and you join it in in a good way, when you join it with with putting aside your ego, because if you're really living this way, you're not going to really care about how many likes you get on Facebook or how many shares on Instagram, whatever, or, you know, Twitter, or TikTok, or whatever the heck it is. You care about the work that you're doing. And you're going to live a humble life. You're not really going to care. Yes, you got to make cinnamon rolls to make gas money so everybody can get to wherever you got to go or whatever it is you got to do. And I think... And right now, I think too many people sit there and think, send me money. No, you got to get mm-hmm. out there and live a humble life. When things come around full circle um, and you have the accessibility and access to resources, that you share those resources. So that's learning to live that humble that humble way of life and, and keeping things full circle. But spirit definitely moves moves you and puts you in places where you need to be and you just have to open yourself to be that conduit for that right it's not easy because you know as human beings we're hardwired for ego i mean that's part of our self-preservation but letting that go and and trusting like the old thing about i'm falling and people are going to catch me Sometimes they catch you, sometimes they don't. <laughs> it's okay. You 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 still rock the reasons. <laughs> wow, Joy, I just want to thank you for a beautiful conversation. Thank you everybody. Thank you. Good night. Have a good one.